What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to this edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the late evening hours of Wednesday, May 31st, 2023. We're just a handful of minutes away now from midnight, which would mean a transfer over to June. And the St. Louis Cardinals wrapped up the month of May with a more favorable situation in the NL Central standings than the one they had to finish up April Last day of April, the Cardinals were 10-19. and 19. They were in the middle of that eight-game losing streak. I believe it progressed until the team was 10-24. and 24. They were last place in the Central. They were last place in the entire National League. And at the time, 10 games back of the division leader. The Cardinals are still well below 500 as they had their first of two off days in a row on Wednesday. Going to be off on Thursday, June 1st as well quirk of the schedule after they petitioned MLB to get that Memorial Day game back would have been off Monday, play Tuesday, Wednesday, off Thursday. Instead, they go back-to-back off days Wednesday and Thursday, and the Cardinals sit at 25-32. and They're five games back in the National League Central and percentage points away from being the last-place team still, but you cut down from 10 games to five games over the past month, essentially, is what happened. And really, it's been over the past three and a half to four weeks or so that they've really turned it on where the Cardinals were down at 10 and 24 since then 15 wins, eight losses, a pretty good run and 12 and seven over that 19 games in 19 days, the stretch that we have made so much about. And on the KTGR big show, the radio show that I do in Columbia, Missouri with my co-host Andy Humphrey weekdays from four to six, you can find it on KTGR.com. If you're not local to the mid Missouri area, We posed the question of who had been the Cardinals MVP over that 19-game stretch, and I'm going to post the audio from that conversation onto the YouTube channel so that you guys can get a chance to listen to it, but you can also follow the big show on Spotify and check out the full show podcast over there. But if you want to listen to that whole conversation, that's going to be available on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. You'll be able to check that out by midday on Thursday over there if you want to see it right away, like I said. It was the first segment of the show, of the big show, on Wednesday, which you can find the big show, the KTGR big show that it is on Spotify. But I want, I'll want i spoil it a little bit here for you because I want to talk about that. And today I also want to talk about a topic that we have discussed kind of a, a little bit in terms of when we were trying to diagnose the Cardinals pitching issues and, and what had gone wrong in the early portion of the season, why the, the starting pitching in particular had not been successful And we talked about the myriad factors at play, the World Baseball Classic, all the Contreras stuff, the coaching turnover. There's a lot going on with this roster. The lack of Yadier Molina is obviously something that's been discussed. But there's one thing that I want to dive into specifically and talk about how maybe I overlooked how significant of a factor this one specific factor was. And that some things that have gone on recently for another MLB team are are starting to make me wonder if we were taking for granted a little more than we had realized, one of the aspects that the Cardinals had at their favor, had in their possession, if you will, last season, and they no longer do. And maybe that was and, and has and maybe continues to have more of an impact than we realized. So that's my mystery conversation for the day. And I also want to get into a little bit of what we saw on Wednesday night in Memphis as Jordan Walker had a big night, continues to slowly climb the ladder with the OPS and all of his numbers down there in AAA. How soon might we see Jordan Walker 
We know there is a possibility that we see some roster turnover for the Cardinals when they return to action on Friday. So we're going to get into that a little bit as well on this edition of Be Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always, for being here. Make sure you follow the show, Be Shape Daily, on Spotify. If you have an iPhone, Apple Podcasts is a great way to subscribe to the program and YouTube. I'm really pushing the YouTube. As of this recording, we're up to like 965 subscribers on the YouTube channel. Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. And you can find the URL once again at youtube.com slash at bshafer12. But I want to give a shout out. If you guys are listening on Spotify, if you're listening on Apple, if you're listening on another app, if you are watching slash listening to this audio on YouTube, I want you to do me a quick favor. And yes, I'd love for you to subscribe to the Brendan Schaefer channel. That's where I'm putting all this content out there. Daily Cardinals content all season long and into the off season as well. I'm sure we'll have a lot of things to talk about after the ball season is over. But I want you to do one more thing. Type into the YouTube search Charlie Marlowe because Charlie Marlowe used to be a sports caster for Fox 2 in St. Louis on TV. And you you hear him on Hot Take Central on 590 The Fan. Charlie Marlowe did me a solid. And uh, with his channel that has over 6,000 subscribers, uh, shouted me out on YouTube earlier Wednesday night, which caused me to gain several dozen new subscribers. I'm getting real close to 1,000. You guys who have listened to the show for a while know that that's a big goal of mine. And we are, like I said, as of this recording, just 35 away from that number. So if you're listening, if you're on YouTube, whether you are or you're not, if you have access to YouTube to go subscribe to the Brendan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals writer channel, we might be able to get this done within the next day or so. And that would be so awesome because it'll unlock some some new features for the YouTube. But subscribe to Charlie Marlowe as well. I believe his channel is labeled Charlie Marlowe and 590 The Fan. He puts a lot of great stuff from guys like Bernie Miklas and Frank Cusimano, lots of different uh, sports radio talk show host people that you know and love in the St. Louis area. And so it's a channel that if you're a Cardinals fan, you should be following anyway. And like I said, a lot of people probably already are. He's got six, seven times the number of subscribers that I do. I'm a lot newer at this, but he has been really helpful. And so I just wanted to thank Charlie, shout him out because he uh, he's helping me reach that goal of 1,000 by shouting me out. I had no idea. I looked and saw that we had gained like 25 subscribers. And I was like, well, how the hell did that happen? And I'm looking on Facebook to see if like one of the big Cardinals groups might have shouted me out or something. And I'm looking on Twitter. I'm like name searching myself on Twitter. Like, what the hell is going on? Are there, are there bots following me? It started to weird me out a little bit. And then I saw, I, I logged on to YouTube on my computer and saw the notification where Charlie had, had made a post. So, Really appreciative of that from Charlie. Go ahead and return the favor. If you don't already follow Charlie, do so. He he does a great job and is a guy that I definitely want to continue to do some more collaborations with on this channel, on his channel. Uh, we've had a couple of sit-down conversations that he's posted before, uh, before I even had a YouTube channel. Like as of a couple of months ago, I wasn't even doing this. And so I've enjoyed doing that with him in the past and we definitely got to connect again soon and really appreciate him. But I wanted to Make sure I took some time because he's definitely helped me get closer to that goal of 1,000, which he knows I've been after here uh, really ever since I, I started this. That's been the the thought process. So thanks to Charlie. But let's go ahead and get into the Cardinals conversation for tonight. And I'm actually going to start with something that I haven't even teased yet. Another conversation from the big show on Wednesday. We sometimes do our top five, bottom five MLB teams, kind of take stock every month or so of where teams are, the risers and fallers across the game and actually the last time we did this was about the end of April and I had the Cardinals in my bottom five MLB teams at the time because record-wise it put them there as we know early May the Cardinals had the worst winning percentage in the entire National League they they were down in the the doldrums as we talked about 
And so I felt like at the time that was completely fair. We did it again today, and I did not put the Cardinals in the bottom five, but I did a little bit of a, you know, people say, was this a troll? Did you Were you trolling when you put this bottom five teams list together? And uh, I, I retweeted it at my account at bshafer12, and it's out there on the uh, KTGR Big Show Twitter account because I put up a poll asking folks to decide which bottom five teams list they like better. Top five teams, I went with the Tampa Bay Rays, number one, the Braves, number two, the Dodgers, number three, the Orioles, I really like their start to the season at number four, and the Astros were my number five team, despite the Rangers leading that AL West and having uh, the best run differential in major leagues. I still feel like the Astros are sort of destined to win that AL West. So those were my top five. The bottom five, though, was far more interesting. And again, this is out there at KTGR Big Show on Twitter. I put the Oakland Athletics as the worst team in baseball. They're like 12 and 46. I don't know what they did tonight, but that's what their record was coming in. Absolutely abysmal. And this is a team that can legitimately lose 120, 130 games. I mean, nothing would surprise me with just how putrid they have been. One of the worst pitching seasons specific to their pitching staff in MLB history. Their offense is bad, but it's not historically bad. Their pitching staff is one of the worst ever in baseball history. We'll see how it ends up at the end of six months, but it has been brutal for them so far. So I wouldn't have very well been able to exclude them from the list when we're talking about the worst teams in baseball. They were my worst team in MLB. But you know, the Royals had just split with the Cardinals and beat them 7 nothing on Monday. And so I was feeling a little generous toward the Royals, and I wanted to kind of prove a point. So I said my 29th team in baseball, Chicago Cubs, currently last place in the Central by percentage points. The 28th worst, or I should say the 28th best, making it the third worst team in baseball, the Reds. Cincinnati Reds just barely above the Cubs in the standings. Fourth worst, the Pittsburgh Pirates. You can see where this is going. And then the fifth worst team rounding out my list was the Milwaukee Brewers, who are actually above 500 at this point. But I don't expect that to necessarily last. Yes, I put the entire NL Central besides the Cardinals in my bottom five MLB teams list. The Cardinals have no excuse for not winning this NL Central. I kind of wanted to prove that point. And so that's the way I constructed my bottom five. Yes, it was a little tongue-in-cheek. But that's my social commentary. The NL Central stinks. The Cardinals need to be able to win it. Even with the uh, 10 games they spotted the division leaders as of about a month ago, the Cardinals should still win this division, and I expect them to do so. Uh, But it's going to need to come with some improvements to certain areas of the the team. I think the offense has got to become more consistent. I can overlook some of the struggles of the past week to the fact that they were kind of on a grind of 19 games in 19 days. A lot of people are tired of hearing that as an excuse. I don't think it's an excuse so much as an explanation. And yes, there were things they probably could have done differently to try to prepare for this, to grind through this. But at the end of the day, they went 12-7 and over the 19 games. And despite having very little offense to show for their efforts each day over the past week or so, the Cardinals were able to kind of limp to the finish line and get to these off days. And they're still well within striking distance, five games back in the division. The offense has got to be more consistent, but I think more than that, what's the topic we've been talking about all year with this Cardinals team? It is the starting rotation. And I think the starting rotation is going to have to 
improve and get more consistent top to bottom. We have seen that improvement come already from Miles Michaelis. And when it came to the conversation on the big show of my MVP for the Cardinals over that 19-game stretch, I kind of cheated, as I often do, when I don't like the way a question is framed. I said, well, let's do it like hockey does and give the first star, the second star, the third star of the game. And then do that for the 19-game stretch. Because I didn't want to pick one MVP. I think there are three guys that stood out. Ultimately, if pressed, I would have gone with Miles Michaelis, despite the fact that, obviously, as a starting pitcher, he only goes every five days and, and even it turned into six days at times over this stretch. But Miles Michaelis in that 19-game stretch, which I believe he started four games within that. Yeah, I think that's right. Pitched in Boston was the first of his four starts during the stretch. Cardinals won all four of those Miles Michaelis starts. Boston, L.A. Dodgers, Cincinnati, and Kansas City on Tuesday. Cardinals go 4-0 in the Michaelis starts. So that's an obvious way in which he was uh, productive for the team. And even going back one start further, at Wrigley Field in Chicago, he had four and a third seven strikeouts, and just gave up one run. Remember, that was a start that on B-Shape Daily, I was not very prone to give Miles Michaelis a ton of credit for that game back in Chicago because I said, look, I know that guys around the league are not going as deep into games. Like, it's not a specific to the St. Louis Cardinals problem. It's something we're seeing league-wide. However, I feel like as a team that prides itself on being a contender and believes it should be the best of the bunch in the NL Central. And remember, the conversation to begin the season was not can the Cardinals scrape by in a week NL Central. It's, hey, this team keeps getting to October, and then they keep faltering in the first round. Can they actually do something about it once they get there? And we said, well, I don't know if this team has the starting pitching to hold up when that happens. That's going to be a big question about this team. Who are you throwing in a game one and a game two and a game three and a game four? Who are you throwing in those five and seven game series if you should be fortunate enough to get past the wild card round? Like it almost, the way we were treating it was like it was a foregone conclusion that the Cardinals would would be back in October. And then the first month of the season happened, the first five weeks of the season happened and they fell to 10 and 24. And you get yourself into a situation where you're like, well, it still should be that way. Like we still should have the, the expectation that the Cardinals get to October and do damage, but you got to walk before you can run. And so it, it's, it started to become, Hey, can this team get back to 500? And they still haven't done that, but can they win the division and all these, these goals that should have been a given. And because of how putrid they were at the beginning of the season kind of turned into more of a, you know, almost unattainable to some people, whether the Cardinals would be able to get back to that point or not. The rotation though, I think was a big reason that we were worried about this team when it came to whether they could compete in October Now it could be the reason they don't even get there to begin with if it does not show considerable improvement throughout spots one through five. You need everybody. But Miles Michaelis has started that trend with 28 innings pitched over his last four games. That is an average of seven innings per, allowing a total of four earned runs, striking out 17, not a huge strikeout guy. Really the only game in which he did was on Tuesday when he had the 10 strikeouts in that outing. Other than that, it's been a little bit lean, but the 1.29 ERA, does not lie. Over the course of those 28 innings, 3-0 record, the Cardinals are 4-0 in those games. Miles Michaelis, to me, is back-back, and you can even look at the entire course of his, uh, go go over the course of May, he has a 1.89 ERA in a six-start stretch since the beginning of May. 
and even go back to his final start of April. 1.62 ERA over his last seven starts. Cardinals are 6-1 and one in those starts, and he is 4-0 in terms of getting the decision in those starts, averaging, oh, about six and a half innings per outing. So, Miles Michaelis, dating back to April 27th, really, has been stupendous. Lowering his ERA. I mean, it was 10 after three starts, and now it's down to 3.75. He's lowered it a full two runs over the past month or so, dating back to April 27th. So an excellent job by Miles Michaelis to get it back on track. And that is why, to me, he's the MVP of that stretch. Even though he's only participatory in you know 20% of the games during that stretch, what having him back as a reliable force in the rotation means for the Cardinals is something you can't really put a price on with where they had just been completely floundering without a lifeboat, without a life vest. They were barely getting a little water wingy that you would give to an infant. They didn't have anything that they could rely upon in that rotation to keep them and their collective heads above water. They just didn't have it. Miles Michaelis is starting to look like, and I, I shouldn't even say starting to look like, he has consistently been that guy over the past Four starts for sure in which he has gone at least six in each of them and has allowed a grand total of four earned runs over his past two starts, 15 scoreless innings with 15 strikeouts and only a grand total of one walk over his past 22 innings. Miles Michaelis is doing everything the Cardinals could possibly hope to see from him. Now, it's a question of who's going to join him in that effort, but at least having that one guy that you can rely upon in the rotation is, I think, a huge step forward for a Cardinals team that just simply did not have that as of a month ago. And you can come up with a lot of reasons for that. Now we're hearing a lot more talk about, well, should the Cardinals have allowed all these guys to go to the World Baseball Classic and how much did it affect Michaelis and Wainwright? I don't really know that you can put, you know, it's an easy narrative. I don't know that you can put a, a tangible kind of factor on that. It's really difficult for me to just say, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Uh, we haven't really heard from those guys, but it's probably not something they would love to admit, if even if it were the case. But knowing the Cardinals had the new catcher situation and they could have kind of built more of a rapport with Contreras, does the whole Contreras thing get as out of hand as it did if Michaelis and Wainwright are there for the entire spring training? Do they discover some of these things that they didn't love about Contreras's game calling or his his work behind the plate? Do they maybe discover some of that sooner if they had the whole rotation there in spring I think it's a possibility but it's something that I hate to relitigate just because of the fact that it is now uh, behind them and we've seen Contreras catch some good games the Cardinals really now just need Contreras to hit the way that he was supposed to hit when they picked him up he's got an OPS down near 650 and the batting average has dropped precipitously as well but Miles Michael is for me one of those three stars of the 19 games and 19 days stretch and the other two are both Nolans we had Arenado's five home runs in consecutive games stretch coincide with this this 19 and 19 stretch for the Cardinals. And then he kind of went on a little bit of a lull in the middle of it. And in Cincinnati, I think was maybe one of his worst series of the season. It was interesting driving back home from Bush Stadium the other night, listening to the post game and hearing Arenado talk to I forget who it was. It, it was probably Bally, but it could have just been the, the media scrum. And in getting a chance to hear Arenado kind of say, we didn't have that same intensity in that red series. And I don't know what it was. If it was the fact that we had just come off of the Dodgers Brewers homestand, it was actually Brewers Dodgers in that order. And those are two contending teams. And we Cardinals played great in those games, but then you go to Cincinnati and there's 8,000 people in the stands and Arenado was getting frustrated with the strike zone. Remember he got ejected from the second game at great American ballpark 
and it just was not the Cardinals series. And honestly, looking back on it, I think the team was fortunate to have escaped from that series with a 2-2 two to -two split against the Reds. But it's just like I understand that he had some, some moments in the middle of this stretch where Arenado was not himself. But I still consider him one of the three stars of the, the 19 games in 19 days because of how he began it with the home runs, which really put him back on track for his season. He kind of had a dip in the middle. But then again, you finished it up very strong yesterday when the Cardinals got the 2-1 to one win over the Royals. They needed to finish the stretch strong. Got to have a win. Cannot get swept in two by the Royals, even if it's a two-game series. It's not like getting swept in four or three. But you didn't, you didn't want to end it that way. You don't want to sit thinking about, oh, we just got roundhoused by the Royals for two games over the course of two off days. I think the fact that the Cardinals were able to sit back and enjoy this one a little bit more, you, you end it with a win, and then I think they'll be rested, rejuvenated when they get to Pittsburgh on Friday. That was important, and Nolan Arenado getting the RBI double to plate Paul Goldschmidt from first base was the first run the Cardinals scored in that game, so he kind of bookends the 19 games in 19 days, kicking it off with that home run stretch that he was able to get going at the end of the Wrigley series and then carry on into Fenway and back into the homestand against the Brewers where he had five home runs in five straight games. And so that was nice. And then he ends it with the RBI double that helps the Cardinals win the final game of the stretch two to one. And the other guy yesterday that was helping that out was Nolan Gorman. The other Nolan had the RBI sacrifice fly against her oldest Chapman. That's against a lefty. You just didn't think probably, even at the beginning of the 19-game stretch, I don't think that was an at-bat that Nolan Gorman would have taken. Now, granted, it was a situation where you had infielders starting in the outfield and they had already double-switched, or not double-switched, but they had moved Marcato into the game and they didn't have a, a full bench at that time. But even if you did, I think that's a situation where Nolan Gorman maybe does not take that at-bat 19 days ago against a lefty like Chapman, and he gets the spot and comes through with the, the RBI that ends up winning the game for the Cardinals. They were already up one nothing, but it was a pivotal insurance run. So I just look at, I mentioned why Arenado with the home runs and then the way that he finished the stretch. And then for Gorman to get that third star, if I'm giving away three awards and we're going to put everybody on the podium, I'm looking at Gorman and the progress that he showed at least from the beginning of the season to where he's been over the past few weeks. I think this was maybe something he was capable of before, but we just never got a chance to really see him become that complete player that can do damage against righties, but also against left-handed pitching. And it's really been over the past three weeks that we've started to see him blossom into that opportunity. The Cardinals gave him the chance, and he picked it up and ran with it. And that was, I think, an important thing to know about him and about the Cardinals moving forward. Kind of interesting to see that the Cardinals have guys like Tommy Edmond, Brendan Donovan listed as outfielders on the MLB All-Star ballot that was just recently released. Oh, it might have been earlier Wednesday, if I recall. And they've got Gorman listed at second base, which I think is to his benefit because it's kind of a weaker field. Uh, don't put him at the DH spot where you could maybe have some other sluggers that you have to, to vie with and, and against for a potential all-star bid. Cardinals fans, if you do anything, I'm saying you probably ought to vote Nolan Gorman into that all-star team because if you do so, it makes me look good. But also, he's deserving, right? I predicted that he would be an all-star, and so I'd like to see it because, as I've said, I've got an agenda, and I would like to be right. But if you look at the numbers, he is definitely deserving, leading the Cardinals in several statistical categories offensively. And like I said, over the past few weeks, we have seen him really blossom into that full, complete player that can do it no matter who is on the mound. And that's something that I think was an important takeaway from this 19-game stretch as well. All right, but now I want to shift into the conversation that I said was sort of the understated aspect, perhaps, of 
the struggles of the Cardinals starting rotation to this point and how what another team is doing in their rotation is perhaps highlighting an element that the Cardinals are now missing that I don't know if people fully appreciated the extent to which they might miss it this season. I want to take you to the Texas Rangers. It's a team that I talked about briefly when I mentioned that they didn't quite make my top five MLB teams despite leading the league in run differential. They have a crazy offense that's doing a lot of good things. Josh Young has uh, gotten off to a great start. Third baseman for Texas. Former Cardinal Adolis Garcia has hit 14 home runs and is an 825 OPS. He's leading that team in homers and RBIs at 49. Cardinals fans love to hear that, I know. But they've got a lot of dudes who are raking, and I want to give credit, too, to the Rangers because they went out and signed guys like Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, and like they went, they went for it by spending money. This year, they signed Jacob deGrom, and we wonder how that might go. Well, he's on the injured list because he always is, but his stuff is legendary. He's consistently one of the best pitchers in baseball. It's just always a matter of, well... Is he going to get to pitch a full season? So he made six starts this year, but has a 2.67 ERA. But what if I told you he doesn't even have the lowest ERA of that rotation, and he's only one of three starting pitchers for Texas that has an ERA below three? John Gray, of all people, and it's going to sound like I'm a John Gray hater, I thought he was a solid pitcher when he was with the Rockies for those many years. But John Gray is not the name I think of when I'm like, yep, one of the best pitchers in baseball, definite sub three ERA. Like these are not, that's not the way you think about John Gray based on his, you know, his career and the way he went about things with the Rockies. Good enough pitcher, had a 3.69 ERA in 2022, or I should correct myself, a 3.96 ERA. And so it's like, all right, it makes sense that he would get out of Colorado and, and maybe do a little better. 2020 was the COVID season. He had a 6.69 ERA. Just terrible. 459 in 2021. And then he goes to Texas. 396. This season through 10 starts, John Gray has a 2.81 ERA. He has been fantastic for the Texas Rangers starting rotation. Another guy, and maybe even a more interesting name for Cardinals fans, is Nathan Evaldi, who leads that rotation in innings pitched and in ERA. In 74 and a third, the guy is seven and two and he's got a 2.42 earned run average. 33-year-old Nathan Avaldi, who was available in free agency, by the way, this season. And when you hear John Moselak say, well, we didn't really delve into the starting pitching market, and then he tells 101 ESPN a couple weeks ago the complete opposite and says, well, you know, a lot of the starting pitching names that we were engaged with, and we definitely were engaged with some of these guys, which, again, flies in the face of what he said in January, but I digress. But a lot of those names are either injured or they're pitching poorly. To which I would look at John Moselak and I'd say, well, why weren't you engaged on Nathan Evaldi? Because he was available in free agency. And this guy has been fantastic for the Texas Rangers. And so it's an example of when the narrative kind of forms that, oh, well, all the guys the Cardinals could have gotten, Jose Quintana, you know, Jacob deGrom was not realistic, but he was a free agent. And you could have maybe gone for like a Max Scherzer or a Verlander if you really wanted to break the bank, which the Cardinals never do. And those guys have had, had their injured list, injured list stints or have struggled at times. But more, I think it's talking about like the Carlos Rodons. The Cardinals might have checked in on him before he signs a big deal with the Yankees. And he's been injured. 
there are probably other names that I'm missing that the Cardinals, maybe they were engaged on, but they didn't end up diving in on. And a lot of those guys, maybe you would consider bullets dodged. But of all these signs with the Rangers, two years, 34 million with a vesting option for a third year, nothing crazy there. I mean, they gave the Cardinals gave Steven Matz $11 million per year a couple of years ago on a four-year deal. Evaldi getting a little more than that. He had built up some consistency with the Red Sox over the past three seasons, 3.72 ERA, 3.75 ERA, 3.87 ERA. You pretty much know what you're going to get with him, but at times, at least in 2022, only made 20 starts, and so you maybe question a little bit the durability. He made 32 starts in 2021 when he was an all-star and ended up throwing 182 and a third inning. So, like, 3.75 ERA, that's where Miles Michaelis is right now, and that's kind of what you knew you could expect when it came to Nathan Avaldi. Texas signs him, and this guy's got a 2-4-2 ERA. That it would be a career best for him by far. And you look at it and go, this guy is a career 4.06 ERA. You could look up and down his, his stat line, back at his baseball card, and he's a 4.2, a 4.3, a 4.15, a 3.8. Like that's He's been that every year of his career. All of a sudden, he's a, a 2.42. And so I'm not saying he would have done a 2.42 and and been looking like an ace of staff had he signed with the Cardinals. But I do think one aspect of this is very interesting. You guys know who the Texas Rangers pitching coach is this year? Yeah, it's Mike Maddox. <laughs> it's going to sound familiar, right? Had been the longtime St. Louis Cardinals pitching coach. He goes from the Cardinals basically saying, at the time, the reporting that came out and, and what the Cardinals had to say about it was we wanted him back. He wanted to step back and didn't necessarily want to be an in-uniform pitching coach, not a retirement per se, but just wanted maybe a different role where he could be a little less hands-on, a little less of the day-to-day grind. And then it takes however many weeks it took, and next thing you know, he's the pitching coach for the Texas Rangers, which again, in fairness, closer to home. I, I believe he's from from that area, and so it is at least a step in that direction, quality of life and what have you. Obviously, had coached with the Texas Rangers previously. He was their pitching coach in 2011 when the Cardinals beat the Rangers in the World Series. But Mike Maddox, who a lot of people I think had kind of mixed views on when he was with the Cardinals, I think it's just a a product of it doesn't matter who the, the base coaches are, who the pitching coach is, who the hitting coach is, or who the manager is. Throughout a 162-game season, there are going to be things to gripe about, and Cardinals fans are among the best at finding those things. Let's be honest. We can self-reflect, can't you guys? So with Mike Maddox, it was like I don't think Cardinals fans in general disliked him, but at times when when pitchers or different guys wouldn't reach their potential, you would look at it and go, well, what is Mike Maddox there doing? What is he?" I think the reality is that maybe Cardinals fans didn't fully appreciate at the time was Mike Maddox maybe knew what he was doing? I mean, again, it's a short sample size of what the Rangers pitching staff has done this year. But even if you didn't think Mike Maddox was the best pitching coach in the world, I think it would have been very difficult to have much negative to say about the wealth of his experience and maybe the comfort level of the way a lot of these veteran starting pitchers, Adam Wainwright, Jack Flaherty is a veteran. I mean, he's six years in. This is his last year before free agency. Miles Michaelis. Like, you had a lot of guys that had worked for a lot of years with Mike Maddox. And maybe the veteran wisdom that he would be able to impart on young pitchers was something that maybe we didn't fully appreciate watching this Cardinals team when he was here. 
And now that he's with the Rangers, I wonder if, A, people realize just how good that Rangers staff had been. With, again, a couple of guys, like what stands out to me the most of it is it's not like they're doing it with, yep, Jacob deGrom, he's great, of course he's great, and, and nobody would be surprised by that. But it's the Nathan of Aldi's and the John Grays who are career kind of average starting pitchers to slightly above average. Like if they're your number three, your number four, you're feeling good about life has been sort of the story of their careers. But they haven't ever stood out the way they're standing out right now with, with sub three earned run averages. And then you've got DeGrom as, the, you know, the third guy in the rotation that would have that. Andrew Heaney is another guy that's in that rotation. He's got a 3.76 ERA had long time been with the Angels. And, you know, the Angels are a team that seemed like for years we talked about, oh, man, they just don't have they don't have the starting pitching to to get over the hump to help out guys like Otani and Mike Trout. They just don't have it. And then Heaney goes to the Yankees, and then last year with the Dodgers, figures things out in, in kind of a partial season, looked good there. And then this year, three seven six ERA. That's a lifetime 4.50 ERA pitcher that's pitching – nearly a full run below his career norms with the Rangers as of right now. And then Martin Perez is the other guy that's made a number of starts for that team. Dane Dunning is now in the rotation for them, and he's 4-0 with a 1.67 ERA, at least prior to today, which I think he pitched pretty well today, but the Rangers lost 3-2. And so he's kind of in that spot right now for DeGrom. Martin Perez is like a 4-4 ERA right now. That's about what you expect from his career. In fact, not only is it about what you expect, it's exactly what he's always done. 4-4-3 ERA, lifetime 4-4-3 ERA. So he's basically been who he's been, but that's your number five starter if you're the Texas Rangers. So, and last year he was an all-star with a 2-8-9 ERA, and there was no Mike Maddox there that year. So you can always have narratives that spin the other direction and say, see, what you're what you're propagating here is not necessarily accurate Brendan Schaefer, but I'm just kind of wondering if Cardinals fans, what they have to think anyway about Mike Maddox and the success he's having with a Rangers pitching staff that when you thought about that Rangers team, you knew they had signed to ground, but you didn't necessarily think top to bottom, like, oh yes, this is going to be one of baseball's best rotations. I mean, this dude's on the IL Jacob DeGrom, and they still have a, a number of guys that are performing at least above their career norms. And so I wonder if Mike Maddox gets a little bit of credit for that. If you're going to Trash the pitching coach when things go poorly. Makes sense to credit a guy when he seems to have tapped into something there in the water in Texas, in uh, out there in Arlington at the uh, the new Globe Life Field. So I thought that was interesting. Do we do we think there's a possibility that the Cardinals and Cardinals fans in particular didn't fully appreciate Mike Maddox while he was here? I don't know, but he sure seems to be doing a good job there in Texas. And I don't think anybody, like I said, ever questioned the wealth of his experience and the notion that. Yeah, maybe we just underestimated as a group of whether you're a Cardinals fan or somebody covering the team and you came into the season thinking, yeah, pretty decent rotation, not great. They they needed more help and they didn't get it, but it's it's probably not going to be an unmitigated disaster. Like, that's what I thought. I said, it's not going to be the end of the world. They won't be great. They'll be middle of the pack and that'll be good enough, anchored by a really strong offense. Well, it hasn't gone that way. And I wonder if Mike Maddox was just one of the many changes that happened so swiftly you lose Maddox and Yadier Molina in the same offseason. I'm just saying, did a guy like Wilson Contreras ever truly stand a chance? Oh, and then two of his five starters decided the World Baseball Classic. We'll, we'll figure it out when I get there, Wilson. Again, I don't, I don't want to blame either of those guys for pitching for Team USA because it was a great honor for both of them to get a chance to do so. And I am very much of the mind that if your team is willing to let you go and you want to go, 
you should go. You're all grown adults here and should be able to handle the repercussions of that. But I think at this point it would be pretty disingenuous to look back and say, oh, the World Baseball Classic had no effect. I don't know that we can quantify the effect that it did have, but I think with just all of the moving parts that were involved in this Cardinals pitching staff, catching core, pitching coach, like all the things that were going on, I think it's fair to say, yeah, they maybe kind of underestimated the impact that that could have. And I'm just curious about the Mike Maddox angle, what y'all think. And no, my, my response to that isn't, well, that means Dusty Blake is no good, but it does mean that Dusty Blake is new to the role that he's in and maybe having to feel his way through a little bit the learning curve of what it will look like to get the most out of this Cardinals rotation. I think that's kind of the feeling out process that's being had. I know Blake was here last year, but it was not in the same role. He was not the guy running the show. And so they're kind of working through that a little bit as well. So let me know what you think about that. Curious for Cardinals fans thoughts. You can get at me at pshaper12 on Twitter as always, or would love to have you comment on this YouTube video. If you're listening on Spotify, feel free to head on over to the YouTube channel Drop me a subscription while you're there as we race toward 1,000. I'm really hoping to get there within the next couple of days. And you guys listening to this, if you haven't subscribed yet and you're on YouTube already, hit that subscribe button, give the video a like, and drop your comment. What do you think about the notion that maybe the Cardinals are missing Mike Maddox a little more than folks perhaps realized that they would when it was announced that he was departing the Cardinals over the offseason? want to end tonight, though, by talking about Everything going on with the Memphis Redbirds on Wednesday night as they got a win 9-4 to over the Omaha Storm Chasers. That is the Kansas City Royals AAA affiliate. Uh, Michael McGreevy improving to 4-0 with the win. Good to see that. Although it did allow four runs. Only one of them earned, though, as he's got a 2.97 ERA. I don't know if you'll see him this year or not, Cardinals fans, but I like what Michael McGreevy is doing at Memphis. Uh, again, despite the four runs, I didn't watch the whole game, so I don't know exactly how... Those unearned runs happened, but I think he's had a really nice go of it so far this season with Memphis, and I do think he has a shot to be in that 2024 rotation for the Cardinals, but I wanted to talk about offensively the big night for the Memphis Redbirds, 11 hits, four walks, and several home runs, including one by Mason Wynn, who has upped the average to, well, it's a 251 right now, and the OPS sitting just below 700 after he had a pretty slow start to the season has not really fully lived up to the billing yet offensively, but keep an eye on what he's doing as he is just there a tick under 700 for the OPS. I was actually starting at second base tonight. Taylor Motter was the shortstop. Uh, he went over four with three strikeouts. Uh, but I wanted to get into Jordan Walker's day because he was another guy that homered. Uh, Moises Gomez also homered in this game. Three for five for Moises Gomez in this one. He homered twice, in fact, in those three hits has an 828 OPS and just continues to uh, maul the ball. He's that power hitter. That's what he does. And he's now up to for the season and looks like 13 home runs. He is an outfielder. He's not necessarily a great defensive outfielder. And in fact, he was the DH tonight for Memphis. Cardinals have this problem where guys like Luke and Baker have a 1043 OPS in Memphis, but he doesn't really play a position other than first base. And the Cardinals have Paul Goldschmidt. And also the Cardinals' best hitter typically playing a lot of designated hitter at the big league level with Nolan Gorman. And so, sure, Luke and Baker would be interesting to see if it can translate. The Cardinals don't seem to think that it can. The 1043 OPS and 309 average. If they thought that it could, I feel like he'd be here already. We'll see if eventually the circumstances change to allow Baker to get his shot. 
but I think you could extend that to Moises Gomez as well. He's DHing. He's going three for five with two home runs, a 260 batting mark. So he's probably not going to be, if he ever got the big league chance, a very big batting average guy. Probably hit 220, 210, but he might run into a few to where his OPS could be, you know, 750 or so. He could be Adolis Garcia, honestly, the next uh, guy that you didn't really think was much. And then if and when he ever does get a chance, maybe he just blossoms and, and allows some of that natural power to uh, to elevate his game at the big league level. But right now, I just don't know how likely it is to see the Cardinals potentially give him that chance. Jordan Walker is the guy that we really want to talk about, though. His OPS after the two for four night with a home run is up to 746 with Memphis. He's only hitting 239. But remember, for a while, those numbers were really, really low. He talked about the Cardinals looking to get him to get the ball in the air more. He wanted to find more loft with his swing. And then, of course, the video that came out a few days ago where he's talking about, yeah, I basically stopped doing all that, and I want to just be myself at the plate. And if I hit ground balls, so be it. But I just want to continue to try to get better and do the things that make me comfortable. A lot of people, as we talked about on on the live stream and on Be Shafe Daily on Monday night, a lot of people took that to mean, oh, he's taking a shot at the organization. I think that it wasn't necessarily his intent. Uh, it certainly came off that way without the context. But the context seems to be that, yes, he is working on some of those mechanical tweaks that could allow him and Daniel Guerrero again I'll plug his story for STL today he covers the minors for those guys and he had a good article written about some of the mechanical tweaks that Jordan Walker is working on down there in Memphis one of which to try to get out in front and make his contact point with the swing to be out in front to where naturally that's going to cause you to get more loft and lift on the baseball and so it's not like he's going up there needing to think anymore hey I need to lift I need to loft that was maybe damaging to Jordan Walker, and I think that's more what he was kind of trying to describe. He's not actively going up there thinking about doing that. But if he's putting in the work in the cage and working with hitting coaches to try and get his swing to the point where that's what he just naturally ends up doing in a game, then the effect is exactly what the Cardinals are ultimately looking for. But the numbers are the thing that's encouraging about Walker. After a slow start, he's up to a 746 OPS. He was at 718 for an OPS with the Cardinals this season. And I think he's sort of climbing back toward what you'd expect to see from him in Memphis, which I would think an OPS above 800, you know, 850 probably the longer he stays there. I think he's that kind of hitter. And ultimately, I expect him to be able to do those kinds of things with those kinds of numbers at the major league level as well. But it seems like whether or not he's actively going up mentally engaged to hit the ball in the air more or not every time he steps into the batter's box, He's making that kind of sweet Jordan Walker contact once again. And when you hit it in the air and you're Jordan Walker, the ball does tend to travel a long way. Had a big swinging moonshot home run to left field and also had a line drive up the middle that was, you know, not technically a ground ball, but a low liner that that bounced a few times before the center fielder picked it up. So two for four night for Jordan Walker. Will he be with the Cardinals on Friday? I don't know if it's going to go that way, but if Lars Newpar ends up on the I.O., I think there is a chance because I don't know who else you're going to call up unless you're going to start actively avoiding bringing him back. Uh, He's on the 40-man roster. So is Moises Gomez. So we basically said it should be one of those two guys. My thought is, if you're ready to see Walker every day in right field for the rest of the year, then now's the time to bring him up. If you don't want to do that yet as the St. Louis Cardinals, I say they never should have sent him down. So you know what my stance on this is. Get him back here. But if you're not ready and you're the Cardinals, Moises Gomez is the guy to give give it a shot. And I know that the defense may not be very good, but at some point, isn't it probably worth seeing what some of these power hitting guys 
that are down there with Memphis could potentially do if they got a shot up here. I'd like to see it. I think a lot of people would. Luke and Baker's another guy that people want to see what that would look like. Um, interestingly enough, Yvonne Herrera's got a 962 OPS in Memphis too. Um, I think last year the problem with Herrera though behind the plate was just the notion of his readiness to handle the game calling in the pitching staff. It got so, I guess I would say, bad in the eyes of the Cardinals last year with Herrera that when Yachty wasn't healthy, they had to resort to Austin Romine, right? They had to send Herrera back and say, yeah, we got to go with Austin Romine because we just we, we need a veteran presence back there that that's more comfortable and that we can have more confidence in. So hopefully Herrera's maybe making those strides as well, but he uh, goes 0-2 today with three walks, raising the OPS to 962. So he's definitely made an impact offensively down there. Uh, but Jordan Walker is a guy that's going to make impact, I think, wherever he goes. It just boils down to, is this going to be a long-term or a short-term decision if you've got a spot to fill when it comes to uh, Lars Newpart potentially going on the IL with the back injury? As I mentioned, he had the back spasms yesterday after uh, Tuesday's game. Looked much better, like he was moving much better at his locker. But is it enough to get him back out in the field and in the lineup for the Cardinals on Friday? If it's not, IL is going to be the answer. They can retroactive it back to uh, when the injury took place on, on Monday, I guess, right, is when that happened. And so they'll be able to to gain a few days back. But I think they'll have to make that decision by Thursday, actually, on the off day. But another week from there, I would expect to see Lars Newbar pretty well back. Probably not one that would need an, a uh, rehab assignment, even if he does need an IL stint. Hopefully the Cardinals get Dylan Carlson back soon. So my point is, you've played with de- defensive infielders in your defensive outfield in recent days. It's Donovan and Edmund, and those guys are great athletes, and so you feel like they can handle it. But Moises Gomez is at least an outfielder, and Mercado has not really performed over the past week or so. We were excited about him. We liked his skill set, but he really does seem to be falling off. Keep in mind, though, that if the Cardinals do make the decision to jettison him from the active roster, they cannot option him. He's out of options. And so Mercado would then be subject to waivers, and the Cardinals can lose him. And I don't think that's something that they necessarily want to do, especially in a, in a time where all their outfielders are hurt. And so that's what makes it a little tricky. I think it would have to be an IL move that sends Newpar off the active roster, joining Carlson, joining Tyler O'Neill, and we have no idea what O'Neill's situation is or will be. I don't think the Cardinals can afford to do anything more than that. Optioning Mercado feels like, I know I saw Brandon Kylie suggest that. Um, he, he said as well, option Barrera out. Now that's something that you could do because they don't need the third catcher on this roster. I just don't think the Mercado move is one that really makes sense because you kind of need to fall back on at least at like if worse comes to worse and you just keep seeing outfielders dropping like flies, at least you throw Mercado out there and you kind of know what you're going to get, even if it's not great production and he's had had some some weird lapses in judgment with, with the glove, I still feel like that's a guy that could be valuable to, to stash on your bench as a just-in-case because uh, I, I guess you could say it couldn't get any worse with the Cardinals outfield, but it always can get a little bit worse. And so I think they would want to be smart about the way they plan their contingencies uh, in the event of even further catastrophic injury to this group. But Jordan Walker, I know his defense isn't great, but if they have seen enough in his uh, kind of bounce back at the plate, I say throw him out there on right field and just understand that it's going to be some growing pains associated with that. But, hey, they made the decision 11, 10, 10, 11 months ago to move him to outfield, and so you kind of have to take that as it comes. The bat is major league ready. If they value getting him the, the big league at bats, then you just kind of have to to take it for what it is with his outfield play and, and hope that it gets better over the course of time. But are you guys ready to see Jordan Walker come back? Let me know at B. Schaefer 12 
or right here in the YouTube comments. That is kind of going to wrap up this edition of B-Shape Daily. I appreciate you guys, as always, for listening and watching, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the YouTube channel. B-Shape Daily has gained several, I'd say probably a couple dozen Spotify followers just over the, the last couple of weeks. And uh, it's not something that I'm really pushing as much as I am the YouTube. So it's pretty cool that uh, just kind of by word of mouth or you guys hearing me talk about, hey, go follow on Spotify. We can get our numbers up. Uh, it's been awesome that you guys have done that. With all the YouTube promotion I'm doing, we're still growing on on places like Spotify and Apple Podcasts too. So thank you guys so much for the support. Drop a like on the video here on YouTube before you head out and make sure to subscribe to the channel. We'll have some more live streams coming up soon, but for now, appreciate you guys as always, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily. Peace.